turn again this morning to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Parents, 
adults. I hope you'll be encouraged to imitate that love for children uh, and uh, to heed Jesus' call that not, not that we should or can, but that we must uh, be like children uh, in some important ways. Uh, so we're going to consider uh, simply just two points, children in the kingdom of God and then adults in the kingdom of this morning. So to this point in, in, Matthew, in Mark's gospel, um, mostly the accounts we've read of Jesus' encounters and teaching have, have been about adults. And there are uh, plain common sense reasons for that. Uh, Jesus has healed a couple of children, uh, but we haven't seen children much. We might be wondering... Um, what is the relationship of children to the kingdom that Jesus is preaching? Or to Jesus himself? Do children have a place in the kingdom? Are they important or valued? Maybe do they have to wait? Do they have to accomplish something first? Well, in verse 13, here uh, we are told that they, parents, were bringing children to him. Mark uses a generic word here for child. Uh, can refer to children of all kinds of ages. I'm going to refer to Matthew and Luke's account of this as well a little bit. They're very, very similar, but they include a couple of different details that are informative. And in Luke's account, he adds some specificity about these children for emphasis. He says they were bringing even their babies. He uses the word for infants that can even refer to infants in the womb. Very small Infants. They were bringing even their infants. It wives some older children too, but even their infants to Jesus. Why were they doing that? Verse 13 goes on, so that he might touch them. Um, that's not all that's going on here. Matthew's account, so that he might lay hands on them and pray. Uh, and then Mark, Mark makes clear the point of this at the end here of this account. Verse 16. Um, he took them in his arms and blessed them. That, that was the reason the parents were bringing their children, even their babies, to Jesus, so that he would bless them. They wanted their children to be with Jesus. They believed that Jesus could give grace to their children. And take note, we'll, we'll come back to this later. This is despite the fact that babies don't know. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't understand what was going on. They didn't choose to come to Jesus. Is that appropriate? Yeah. Well, the disciples didn't The disciples, it says, rebuked them. The disciples rebuked them. They, they told the parents that this wasn't appropriate. Um, we all understand that kids, especially babies, are noisy, disruptive at times. They tend to get in the way um, of things that you're trying to do. Um, when, when you're really trying to get something important done, it can just be easier if the kids are outside playing, or better if they're sleeping. <laughs> um, we don't know exactly what the disciples' concern was, but it's probably along those lines. They're thinking, this is a waste of time. Your children don't understand. They won't be useful to Jesus. They can't be disciples yet in the kingdom. Jesus has more important things to do than to bless and pray for your babies and your children. What was Jesus' response to that response? Verse 14, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them. Jesus is not just saying, Okay, we'll allow it. You know, they're already here. They've made the trip for the day. Um, we'll give them a little time. Uh, he's inviting them. In, in case we should miss, 
or doubt how strongly Jesus feels about this. Again, when he saw it, he was indignant toward the disciples' attitude. He means to communicate there's some serious contradiction between the disciples' attitude towards children. There's a contradiction between their understanding of, of ministry and their mindset towards children and Jesus. But understand what Jesus is, is saying here, what's, what's behind this. I want you to see briefly Jesus' concern, God's concern for children and for whole families throughout the scriptures. Um, the summary of that is that God acts in covenant relationship, covenant care and concern and love not only towards individuals, not only towards adults, uh, but towards families, uh, as families. So to Abraham, the beginning of the church, uh, God made these great promises to Abraham. That he would be his God. He would make him a great nation and bless the whole world through him and so on. God gave to Abraham a sign of that covenant, a sign of that promise of being included in God's benefits and promises. And, and so that Abraham would be clear that it wasn't just he and Sarah, but it was their children as well, their whole family. This sign was to be applied to their children, eight days old. Uh, there was no doubt that, that even their infants who couldn't understand, couldn't choose this, were to be included in the church. God's people, God says, this is my sign. God continues to make promises to bless generations of his people. He commands that children be taught uh, just like the rest of the Old Testament church. Deuteronomy 6 is a great example uh, of that. Um, God expects that families will worship him together. Uh, a very interesting example of that is in Joel chapter 2. Um, in Joel, God through Joel is calling the people of Israel to repentance and he tells Joel to uh, go gather all the people of Israel to come uh, to Jerusalem to worship and, and to, to repent. And he's told this, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. I, I can't help but wonder if maybe Luke had that uh, in mind, uh, passages like that in mind, when he tells us in his account, it makes clear they were bringing even their infants, even nursing infants, uh, to Jesus, just as God had instructed his people to do. Even in the Old Testament, it shows that God considered all of them, the whole family, to be part of his people, wanted them to be there in his presence, uh, worshiping. God built into his formal worship in the Old Testament, teaching young children. Um, the Passover is an example. Uh, there's not an assumption that, well, when these kids grow up and become adults, they'll figure out what the Passover is and, and what worship means. Uh, in Exodus chapter 12, God is giving instructions for the Passover, uh, he, he built into those instructions the assumption that your kids are going to ask you, what, what did this mean? Why are we doing this? Why are we eating that? And God follows that up with, you're to respond to your kids with this explanation of what, what this is. Well, these, these patterns are reflected and continued in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching at Pentecost and proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming baptism. And he said, this promise is for you and your children. Still, it's for families. He's speaking most immediately of baptism there, but, but the promises that baptism points to. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 is wrestling with the, the issue of mixed family, where one spouse has come to Christ and the other has not. He 
says your children in that case are, are holy. They're, they're, they're set apart in, in a special way to the Lord. Well, in this vein, understand, as these believing parents bring their covenant children to Jesus, then in verse 14, Jesus says, Permit them to come to me, do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. In other words, disciples, you're not to hinder these parents from bringing their children, even their babies, to me. The kingdom of God belongs to them. These covenant children are members of the kingdom of God. They're members of the church. The kingdom belongs to them as much as it does to you. They don't need to go out and accomplish something. As as children of parents who serve God or coming to Jesus, they're part of the kingdom. They're part of the church, as they have always been throughout history. Jesus loves, accepts, and welcomes children of of believers, even babies, as here. Uh, You kids here this morning, you're part of your mom and dad's family. You have their name. uh, But you're part of God's family as well. You have God's name on you. He wants you, like all of his people, to come to him, to, to pray, to worship him, um, have your sins forgiven, to learn from him. What does that mean for us, just thinking a little more practically? Um, it means, parents, you need to bring your children to Jesus. This is an example of what's done here and how Jesus receives these children. Jesus has made clear the kingdom that he's preaching is, is a matter of life and death, right? Being in the kingdom is a matter of joy and peace and being with God forever. Being outside the kingdom is sadness and disappointment and death. Um, now to say that the children of believers are in the kingdom of God is, uh, belongs to them, as Jesus says here, is not a passive guarantee uh, that they will be with Jesus forever. It's not a guarantee they will grow up and embrace that reality ultimately for themselves. That is true in the Old Testament of those who are circumcised. It's true today of people who are baptized at all ages or in a profession at any age. Some grow up and turn away from Christ. All of our children must grow up and own their faith for themselves. But it does mean that God's promises and blessings and benefits in the church are theirs. That they are members of the church. The chief way that God has appointed for your children to embrace that reality is by your doing, figuratively, what these parents did. Bring your children to Jesus. Jesus loved children and so must we. The most crucial way we love our children is bringing them to Jesus. We must at all costs be like these parents, get our children to Jesus. Uh, and really everything else we do is, is to be secondary to that goal. Well, how do, how do you bring your children to Jesus? What does that mean? One formal but God-ordained way is in baptism. Uh, the sign that Jesus has given for us to give to our children is what he says here, really, this passage is not a, a, a sort of standalone gotcha proof text for infant baptism, but it certainly harmonizes well with it. Um, does Jesus, you might ask, does Jesus bless uh, in this way uh, the Pharisees? Or does he speak of, of pagans or those who oppose him or hate him? Does he say the kingdom of heaven belongs to them? 
No, he only says this of his people. And these children, here, he only blesses his people. So our children, even babies, should receive a sign of that belonging that Jesus proclaims for the children of these believing parents. A baptism is a promise that God gives. Uh, it's, it's not a good work that we perform or a profession of our faith. It's God's sign, God's promise to us. Uh, it's his sign of who is included uh, in his covenant people. Um, so there shouldn't be anything troubling about the fact that an infant, for example, doesn't know at the time what's going on, or doesn't understand, or doesn't choose that. Jesus here didn't say, oh, this is ridiculous. Your babies don't understand what's going on. Bring them back when they're 12. Um, it's a sign not only also for, for the children, for babies even, but for the whole church of whom God has claimed. And as our children grow up, they will see this sign given to other children and see God saying, your children belong to me. They, they have a right to my promises and my blessings and benefits in the church. We'll see that and reminded of that. And one of the, so again, one of the best ways to bring our children to Jesus is to bring them to the sign of the gospel and baptism. And then to use that throughout their life as they grow to remind them of it. Remind them that they've been marked, they've been given the name of, uh, of the triune God in their baptism. You bring your children to Jesus by reading his word to them. Uh, claim to his truth and his person and his worth and, and opportunities that you get throughout life and disciplining them or um, and their need for wisdom and for praying for them or all kinds of opportunities. You bring your children to Jesus by bringing them to worship with the church. Um, and, and this is a, a, a progression, obviously, as, as they grow. And it works in different stages. But ultimately, our goal is not to get our children just to sit still long enough uh, but, but to actually understand what's going on and, and to love the time of worship of Jesus. To bring your children to Jesus by teaching them about and, and to love the Lord's day. To love Jesus' day, this day that we celebrate his resurrection every week uh, and anticipate our own rest and resurrection. We highlight and, and enjoy the Lord's day, model joy in that. I think we have a collective responsibility as a congregation uh, to bring our children to Jesus, uh, in a sense. Um, we, we must not neglect that as, as a less important ministry together. We're um, blessed to be in a congregation, a presbytery, a denomination that takes that seriously, whether in our classes or other things we do for our children, or our presbytery has lots of uh, youth retreats with fun, but also uh, deep discipleship and, and family conferences and, and many other opportunities uh, for that as well. The summary of all of this is, is disciple. I just want to reiterate again that, that uh, what Jesus says here it makes it clear that our children, even infants, uh, are members of the kingdom, are members of the church. Uh, you're to treat covenant children as members of the church. We have this important distinction between Baptized members and communicant members, those who have come to uh, profess their faith and own, own it for themselves and take on the full responsibility of that uh, individually within the church. Um, but baptized members are real members of the church. 
It's a mistake to wait until they're adults or until they're community members to include them in, in every aspect of the life of the church, I think. Um, that doesn't mean they'll be able to fully do so at every age or fully understand at every age, but uh, even the everyday life of the church outside of worship and various activities or ways that we serve together. I think if they can understand much of anything about what we're doing, we have to consider including them. Right? Whether in bringing them to Bible studies or in including them in work days or in congregational meetings or uh, in, in making a meal for someone who's ill or, or however you're serving in the church. All of these are ways that we bring our children to Jesus. Well, Jesus pivots then to address uh, in this passage adults' relationship to the kingdom. Uh, what we can learn from children. So secondly, on your outline there, adults and the children, Jesus says, truly I say to you, and that's sort of a listen up, this is important. Um, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Not so much the children, and what Jesus is saying here, the children may need to be more like adults, but the adults need to be more like children in some ways. So I want to just highlight three aspects of Jesus' instruction, or three implications here. Uh, first, there be like a child. What, what, is, what does that mean? The basic comparison, being like a child here. Jesus doesn't give a list of, of what that means, but um, we can... Note a number of things the Bible teaches that are clearly parallel to childlikeness. And I think chief of those is, is simply utter dependence. The utter dependence of children. Children, especially infants, are, are an example of complete dependent on, dependence on their parents. Right? And they know it. Not in the sense maybe they're conscious or, or think about it, but they just assume it. It's how they live. Uh, it's, it's how they survive. Um, it's part of their existence. It, it's even true of children we might call more strong-willed or more independent children. Those are just relative descriptions, right? They're still utterly dependent on their parents as well, on small children. Um, all children naturally look to their parents for provision and protection and comfort and assurance. So many things are done, for, especially for babies, all day, every day. And such is a picture of our position before God that we would recognize our complete dependence. We would recognize that what we have, the abilities we have, the resources we have, are not of ourselves, that we have no power to create meaning or purpose in our lives. We have no control, ultimately, in our lives. And on top of all that, we're, we're guilty of sin, and we're dependent on God's mercy in everything. We, we imitate in that our attitude, we imitate the attitude of Jesus, that he lived out, dependence on his Father, and his life on earth, and we especially on the cross. Into your hands I commit my spirit, Father. It's really our attitude, what should be our attitude all the time. Jesus put this many ways, so becoming like a child or like an infant is, is a powerful one. We actually don't one sense, work at becoming that, but just acknowledging that's our position more and more. Just think how helpless human infants are. I think it's interesting how helpless God created human infants compared with other mammals. For example, if you've seen a large mammal born, uh, within minutes, they're 
standing, walking around shortly after that, aware of danger, looking for food. And these things take months or years for human infants to, uh, to come to. Uh, other comparisons we can point to are just the fact that a child has much to learn. That's something we need to acknowledge always. Acknowledge we have much to learn, to look to God for direction and wisdom. We could point to, the, again, the weakness, the vulnerability of small children. The fact that uh, aside from you know, the joy and delight of the relationship, which is, which is huge and is wonderful uh, with a, a small child, they contribute nothing materially constructive to our families. That speaks to something of our relationship to God as well, our dependence on Him. We could point to the contentment of children. Um, when they're with their parents. All of these things are instructive of what, uh, how it is that we are to be like children in the kingdom of God. But look at the second point here. Jesus is not just making a suggestion here. He's not giving an ideal to aim for. It would be nice if you would act more like children. And his statement gets stronger in verse 15. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. The second point is it's, it's not an option. It's an absolute and exclusive statement Jesus makes. It's a necessity. Jesus seems to be saying there will be no one in the kingdom of God. There will be no one saved on, on judgment day. Enjoying eternal life with Christ does not become like a child in some sense. Really what Jesus is describing is, is faith. And, and we, we know from the entire scriptures he's not going to uh, some kind of perfection in this or reaching some kind of standard. Right? There, are, there are ways we all fail, even in genuine faith, um, and exhibit pride and need to repent of that regularly. But if, if your faith is in anything other than God alone, Jesus is saying, you will not get in. You need that kind of dependence. We can contrast this with the prayer of the Pharisee, the temple, in Jesus' parable. And his, his arrogance and self-sufficiency and setting the rules for himself. Jesus says he was not justified. With Jesus' warnings in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, he says, who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. The people who profess I love Jesus. I follow Jesus. He says, many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not do this in your name? Do that in your name? We've been following you. And Jesus' response to them is, depart from me. I never knew you. It is a parable of the ten virgins. It's basically the same point. I want to encourage you this morning, when you uh, see a baptism, uh, particularly of, a, of an infant, you reflect on the meaning of baptism and God's covenant. Also reflect on infancy, though. There's a picture there. This is the illustration Jesus gives us in some sense of our faith. You reflect on the helplessness and the dependence of a baby. Does that describe your faith? Remember that, as Jesus said, many will stand before him at the judgment in some kind of confident self-confident, um, you know, as, as self-sufficient adults, having professed some relationship to him, but having treated the kingdom of God, having treated Christianity as some kind of an add-on to their life, 
a nice lifestyle choice or a social club or however they thought of it, rather than something that humbled them and in utter and grateful dependence. And he will say, depart, I don't know you. You, you never became like a child. Independent faith towards me. That's all that he asks. Just one more point here. We, we've looked at the comparison, what this comparison between children and our relationship to Christ might mean, given the teaching of Scripture. Some, some commentators argue, relative to this passage, that uh, the primary comparison in this, in this context, um, particularly because of, of Luke's comment that they were bringing small infants to Jesus, um, is, is their receiving. Right, they receive the kingdom of God like a child. How do these particularly infants receive blessing from Jesus in this scene? Well, entirely passively. Right? They didn't decide to go there that day. Uh, they don't know who Jesus is. Um, they don't fully understand his blessing even. They're not, they're not aware of these things. Whatever the comparison is, this is a good summary, I think, of all of Jesus' point. And this, this third point, receive the kingdom like a child, or like a baby. Just, just very briefly commenting on that. We can only come into the kingdom of God by a work of God's sovereign grace alone. The initiative is His. Any childlike characteristics that we have are from Him, they're by His grace. Infants cannot make the first move. They can't see Christ. They can't believe on their own when they're born, yet they're given the sign of baptism. We, we trust and hope that God will work in their hearts and confirm that as they grow. Infants simply receive all that is done for them. Just as here, they receive Jesus' blessing in that way. And that is how we must recognize that the kingdom of God works largely. That it's God's work. It's God's grace. We receive it in faith. Well, I want to close by just bringing these two themes together. The, the place of children in the church and the kingdom uh, and our role in discipling them and then also uh, adults' um, relationship to the kingdom. One of the most significant ways, speaking particularly to adults here, is that, that you can disciple your kids and bring them to Jesus is to let them see your childlike faith. Your dependence on Jesus. Let them see in you an, an eagerness and a hunger for the grace of God. One of the greatest pitfalls uh, in living out the Christian life is having or passing on a, a Christianity that is merely or even primarily uh, rules and behavior and tradition. It's routines and tradition uh, rather than true Christianity, a grace received and utter dependence that's lived out. Uh, one um, illustration of this that I came across a while ago is, is from Phil Vischer. Uh, you may know that name. Phil Vischer is the creator of VeggieTales. Uh, he ran VeggieTales then. For, created in 1993 and ran it for a while. Sold it in the, in the early 2000s. Uh, but ten years later, um, looking back um, over his creation of VeggieTales and what it was, he was still working with it. He, um, he came to realize that what he was giving kids in VeggieTales uh, fell short of a Christ-centered, dependent Christianity. In fact, in his own words, fell far short of Christianity at all. 
Um, there's no sin. There's no Christ. There's no salvation. Um, there, there's nothing in veggie tales to realize that a Mormon or uh, a Muslim or even a Buddhist would disagree with. Um, and this, uh, I'm going to give a, a quote from Phil Bishop here, just qualify first. I'm not bashing veggie tales here. My kids watch veggie tales from time to time, but. Um, we do need to recognize this model of Christianity um, and that it's in fact without Christ or without the gospel at times. But in a, in a now famous interview with World Magazine, Phil Bishop, these years after he had sold uh, VeggieTales, explained what he called the VeggieTales model. He said the model is you tell a story that illustrates the value, then wrap it up with a Bible verse. We certainly need to teach kids biblical values, but biblical values aren't the gospel. Introducing a child to kindness isn't equal to introducing him or her to Jesus. And I look back, he said, that the previous ten years, realized I spent ten years trying to convince kids to behave Christianly without teaching them Christianity. And that was a pretty serious conviction. Uh, you can say, hey kids, be more forgiving because the Bible says so. Or, hey kids, be more kind because the Bible says so. But that isn't Christianity. It's, it's morality. That was a huge shift for me from the American Christian ideal. He says we're drinking a cocktail that's a mix of the Protestant work ethic and the American dream and maybe a little of the gospel and we've intertwined them so completely we can't tell them apart at times. The gospel has become a gospel of following your dreams and being good so God will make all your dreams come true. It's really just the over God. That's what he says in this interview. So I just share that as an encouragement not to give your children mere moralism, but to give them Jesus. Give them to Jesus and his grace and his death and resurrection and his lordship. And this is, this is hard to do. It's hard enough just to focus on uh, behavior, um, let alone to take the time to, to intentionally and diligently uh, point them to Jesus uh, and everything. But again, the stakes are too high. Jesus puts it here, they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. If they don't come to some understanding of utter dependence on Jesus, uh, like a child. There's a sense in which as they grow, sort of Benjamin Buttonish, uh, they're to become more and more like a child in their relationship to Jesus and, and understand that uh, even more. Uh, so my encouragement is to be sure to have this sort of faith in yourself uh, so that this is what your children will see in you, see in us. Let's, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we uh, thank you again for your word this morning and your teaching from uh, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for not only his words, but his actions here that uh, show us uh, his great care and love for children. I pray that you would give us um, continually and increasingly that care and love for children ultimately to, to bring them to Jesus, to teach them of the grace and the gospel. Thank you for the ways that that's done and has been done faithfully for years in this congregation. Lord, show us the ways that we can maintain that and even increase in our faithfulness. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.